Listening to the Pre-Med Perspectives Podcast. Hello everyone. It's Ambika here, and I have a very, very special guest with us today on the Pre-Med Perspectives. I'm sitting here with Dr. Malfitano, who is the Dean of Michigan State College of Osteopathic Medicine. He is also the Osteopathic Heritage Foundation Professor of Pediatrics, Microbiology, and Molecular Genetics at MSU. So Dr. Malfitano, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, Ambika. Thank you very much for uh, taking some time out, and uh, we could maybe... uh, share some insights in regards to the osteopathic profession, um, some, something about our medical school and just some general thoughts about uh, considering a medical career in general. Yes, of course. So why don't you um, just expound a little bit on the introduction I gave so the listeners have yeah. some context about who you are. Yeah, so um, I'm a, uh, always wanted to be a physician um, I am an alumni of Michigan State uh, at a number of levels. I did my undergraduate there um, as well. I, I was actually part of, and, and which, which we still have a program, a DO PhD program. So as part of medical school, the usual training to become an osteopathic physician, I also underwent uh, a PhD thesis um, study and uh, received the PhD simultaneous with the DO degree. Um, after that, I uh, moved through an internship in internal medicine. I did a pediatrics residency at the Mayo Clinic. I did a, uh, I specialized in clinical genetics. I did that at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Um, and then I was on staff at Duke University uh, Medical Center for about 10 years where I was uh, in a division of uh, genetics department of pediatrics. I kind of rose through the ranks there um, was tenured, and then um, oh, in two thousand. Now it's, it's it's actually almost sixteen years to the day. I uh, I returned to Michigan State, and I took a, 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 as a, a part of the position. Uh, I, I'm a full professor, and I have what's called an endowed chair. This one was endowed by the Osteopathic Heritage Foundation, which is an interesting uh, organization. Uh, and what they do is they donate dollars and endowments to universities um, to help uh, professors conduct research and their duties. So, um, so part of my laboratory studies are supported by the Osteopathic Heritage Foundation, which was founded by a group of DOs in Columbus, Ohio, um, way back when to help the, the profession nationally. So long answer, uh, but that's what it is. <laughs> Wow, so you're a Spartan through and through, right? Undergrad and yeah. school. Yes, I bleed green and white. Truly, I do. I probably still owe some parking tickets to my, you know, <laughs> my undergraduate days, but don't tell anybody. Of course, I won't. But yeah, we're the same. I'm actually, like I mentioned earlier, undergrad at MSU, and I just submitted my um, application to MSU Com. So fingers crossed there. Okay, wonderful. Yeah. So. So now let's get into talking about some osteopathic medicine. So like my first question for you is like the pretty mm-hmm. general question. Why did you choose osteopathic medicine? Well, for a, a lot of reasons, some that weren't, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, I can't say had a lot of forethought and some that did. Uh, uh, primarily, uh, I chose osteopathic medicine because I had exposure to it while being at Michigan State with the medical school being here. Um, and, and, and in my department, which was microbiology at the time, um, strongly affiliated with the osteopathic medical school. So I had um, uh, knowledge of it. I had knowledge of the field. I had knowledge of the practitioners, um, not as much as I do now. And I, you know, and fortuitously for me, I, I made the, what I think is a, a great choice. Um, uh, and, and the DOPHD program was what really struck me um, at, at the time because I was interested in research and I didn't realize that I could do both at the same time. And in discussing with some faculty at the medical school, they said, you know, we do have a dual degree program where you could pursue that. And, and so all that combined with some pragmatics uh, in state school, I didn't have to move away. I didn't have to pay out of state tuition, which was higher at the time. You know, so those pragmatics uh, come into play. Um, and, and that's where I got my start. Um, I, uh, I, I've never looked back. Uh, it is a wonderful decision. And uh, just all kinds of opportunities uh, came my way after it. Um, so that's where my background is on osteopathic medicine. Some, you know, my parents came from Italy. You know, I'm a first generation born here. Uh, no one in the family had even graduated, you know, from a college, let alone high school. Um, so really, I didn't have that kind of a background or understanding. All I knew is I wanted to be a a doctor, I wanted to be a good doctor, and then uh, I wanted to also conduct research. And uh, the tenets of the profession really struck me, um, you know, the, a holistic view uh, to the individual as you approach each, each individual that seeks you out, uh, an emphasis on prevention uh, rather than just treating symptoms, I think st struck a chord with me, especially um, with my research interests, you know, with research, I think in any anybody pursuing research in the biomedical sciences wants to develop new treatments or strategies for the human condition, and so that that really resonated well with me uh, during that time. So all that together, I think, uh, luckily for me, came together in a, in a fantastic choice. Wow, that's so amazing. Um, one thing that you said really struck out to me about how you learned a lot about uh, osteopathic medicine and the medical field in general at MSU. Mm -hmm. I really think Michigan State University does a great job of educating their pre-medical students about the osteopathic profession. I cannot say mm -hmm. this for other schools, but I learned so much as an undergrad at MSU. So I'm really happy that you were able to learn so much uh -huh. and get to where you are today. That's so great. Thank you. It's very inspirational, actually, a first generation student now. Look at you, dean of uh, medical school. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, uh, you know, you, you raise a good point. We do make a strong effort uh, to educate and, at all levels. We actually, if you're not aware, we actually have programs that reach out into middle schools in the state of Michigan. Oh, yes, I did uh, learn about this upon my acceptance. Yeah, MSP. yeah and, uh, you know, part of it is because the osteopathic profession is a, uh, it's not a, a new profession. I can go a little bit into the history, but it is a, uh, I, I would say, relative to your traditional MD, a, a minority position uh, uh, profession. Uh, right now, uh, about 10 to 12 percent of all physicians in the United States are DOs, but that's changing rapidly. Uh, if you didn't know, 
one in four medical students in the United States right now are in an osteopathic medical school. Um, so that means uh, 2030, about 20, 25% of all physicians in the United States will be an osteopathic physician. Um, so, uh, in fact, a lot of that growth, which is the osteopathic profession is the fastest growing health profession of any in the country right now. That includes nursing, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, et cetera. Um, uh, the profession actually, you know, dates back to the late 1800s. Um, where the founders of, of the profession really were kind of, you know, if you think about it, Bika, uh, back in the eight, late 1800s, there really wasn't much medicine had to offer, you know, uh, you know, some strychnine, some arsenic, a good yeah, bloodletting. I heard about how George Washington bled out. There wasn't much. Right, there. right. <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, a quick hand with the saw. I mean, that was about it, you know. And the one, one doctor in particular, uh, who was an MD, uh, Andrew Taylor still, um, had seen a lot of suffering, uh, this is post-Civil War days, um, and, and you know, saw his family suffer. Many died from infectious disease. And he also noted that a lot of the treatments of the day were actually doing more harm than good. You can imagine if you gave someone arsenic, they wouldn't really you know, come around uh, yeah, in the right direction. <laughs> and it just uh, resonated with him that, observing that that his 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 goal was to um you know do no harm look for those treatments that are most beneficial um and and look at the whole person and try and prevent disease um and those those and and in particular look at treatments or modalities that are are you know um useful and and do not cause harm and so uh, this is what the profession is founded on, these tenets, these philosophies. Um, and that's something that I think if anybody's listening should listen carefully because folks confound, I think some, some may confound the practice of osteopathic manipulative therapy as the premier tenant of the profession, which it is important, and I'll explain what that is, but it's one facet and it, it derives from the philosophical tenets of trying to look at the whole person and try to do your best as a physician to bring whatever you can to that person's life, that individual's family, that individual's community to better everyone. And part of this involves what's called osteopathic manipulative treatment, which is a, a skill set of advanced, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's an understatement to say it's advanced physical therapy, but it's an understanding of the musculoskeletal system in such a way that you can treat a number of ailments primarily associated with pain, you know, musculoskeletal pain, back pain, anytime you injure yourself, you can imagine that actually most visits to the doctor are for musculoskeletal pain. And so you want to be armed with a, a skill sets that not only include the latest and greatest in medicines or technologies, we, we certainly can offer that, but if you can do advanced skills, uh, of understanding the neuromuscular skeletal system and the neurologic axis, um, you can treat folks in ways that does not require medicine for some of these ailments. Um, we, we actually have evidence in our college that we, we can, by using these, you can, for example, decrease the use of morphines and narcotics by 25% in patients um, versus those who do not see an osteopathic uh, physician practicing these skills. So, um, you know, 
from, from the late 1890s, the profession has evolved along with all of medicine. And I can tell you that it really uh, picked up steam when 51 years ago, 52 years ago, this college of osteopathic medicine was started on you know, a Big Ten campus, a major research institution that really kind of ingrained the profession and validated it. And it took off from there. And if you actually look at the number of DOs across the country, um, it's, it leapt up exponentially once this college got rolling, a number of other schools opened up. Now I believe there's 38 osteopathic medical schools across the country at 50 sites. And like I said, one in four medical students in the United States right now are in one of those, those medical schools. You, what you said about um, morphine, uh, like yeah. physicians um, will have to administer less morphine because of osteopathic. Uh, principles. I think that's so profound because um, of our country's the opioid crisis. There's so many yes. addictions that stem from medicine and I think overprescribing. Mm -hmm. So that research, I think is really important that people know about that. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's part of, and you know, so, you know, I know we, we're going to talk about advice to med students, you know, want to be doctors, or especially if you're considering osteopathic medicine. So let me get to the crux of the matter. Uh, you know, medicine obviously is, you know, there's a lot of science involved, a lot of evidence, you know, and, and you know, that, that is fine. That spans the MD and DO world 100%. But much of medicine is based on what I like to call the art of medicine. You know, in fact, I think most people would agree medicine is more art than science right now. Um, there's an art uh, to telling someone you have a lethal condition. Um, there's the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. There's an art to how you approach uh, individuals that ask you for their care. And maybe there is no solid answer yet. Uh, the evidence base isn't there, or there isn't a double blind placebo controlled study that tells you which way to go. That's where the art of medicine comes in. And osteopathic physicians have, since 130 years ago, have always been very progressive in trying to understand the whole patient. Why are you coming to see me today? What's the underlying reason you're coming to see me? Maybe you're coming in because you have a headache, let's say. Um, you could easily prescribe, you know, some, uh, you know, strong pain medicine, maybe, you know, something above an ibuprofen or something and, and send the person on their way. Or you can think about, oh, now why does this person have a headache? And you can inquire, um, do you have any stress in your life? Um, do you have any other, you know, symptoms, you know, maybe, you know, and, and, and this is what you, you do as a physician, um, you know, do they have symptoms of blurred vision or vomiting or something, maybe they have a brain tumor, or, uh, you know, uh, you ask, and are you under any stress, and you find out, well, this uh, individual, maybe she's a victim of an abusive uh, uh, partner, and the headaches are coming because of the stress she's enduring. And now you know that that's actually the underlying problem and can help address that. Um, we do that constantly as a profession. Um, it's ingrained in every course we teach in osteopathic medical schools. Every class teaches the principles of osteopathic medicine that we have a holistic approach to everybody we see we're interested in preventing disease, not waiting for symptoms to show up and then treat it afterwards. And we're interested in those things that go beyond science, you know, the family interactions, the community interactions, 
socioeconomic, racial disparities, all those things, we roll that up, try and bring that to bear so that whenever anybody comes to see us, um, we can bring all that to be able to bring, to give the best care. And uh, I think that's part of the reason, um, you know, the profession has gravitated more towards primary care as a result. There's a tradition of, uh, because of those tenants wanting to go into primary care, pediatrics, internal medicine, family practice in particular, and even in, in particular in rural areas um, where there's a high need. And so you want to have a broad skill set to handle all the things you're going to see. And so those kind of are the undertow of why I think the profession is booming because today's contemporary wannabe, you know, sort of medical student uh, or, you know, undergrad pre-med, that's who they think that, you know, they, that's what the way they envision themselves practicing as a physician and, and our philosophies resonate. And I think that's why the profession is growing so profoundly. Oh, definitely. The way I like to look at it is that innovation is always so important in medicine and all those years ago when doctors still innovated allopathic medicine, um, there's so many new uh, philosophies and thoughts mm -hmm. that I think pre-med students, yeah, like you said, are really resonating with today. Um, I know a lot of my friends, actually all my friends who are pre-med are in the same OMSP program as me. And everyone is so um, in awe of like the difference between osteopathic medicine, like the osteopathic medicine difference. So I think that's really, like yeah. you said, catching on. Yeah, I, I, you know, and like I said, I mean, I, we work alongside MDs. Um, I've, you know, I've been at multiple institutions. Um, there's a long history there. Um, and, and this isn't exclusive to the osteopathic profession. I think other professions are catching on, but you can be guaranteed that if you go to a DO medical school, you are going to learn these primary tenants day in, day out. You're going to learn how to be uh, a general practitioner to even the most complex cases. I mean, I'll give you an example myself. I, I am a geneticist, um, which means I see the rarest of rare of human conditions, okay? So it's kind of the antithesis of the family practitioner. But in my dealing with families and individuals affected by you know, thousands of, of different genetic diseases, um, I understand that, you know, the genome and the latest in genetic technologies. I actually do research on gene therapy to treat genetic conditions in my laboratory. Um, but when you're left, you know, when you're in a, a position where you're going to give someone a devastating diagnosis, um, I lean on my osteopathic training uh, to help me understand what they're going through, what they're thinking, um, how this is going to affect not only them, but uh, their family members, either their children, I mean, we're talking genetics here, you know, or their family members, siblings, parents, extended family. And then how does this impact their interactions with the rest of the community? I get to bring that uh, to bear. And I can tell you more times than not that that has made my practice of my form of medicine um, uh, really uh, an incredible experience because I have those skill sets where I just don't, you know, I go in, I can tell you, hey, I know what's wrong with you with the nucleotide level. Here, here, here's the, the story and then move on, right? I mean, that's the bare minimum you could be as a physician. You don't serve any purpose there beyond being a technician. Uh, the art aspect of it is where you really get into the healing and, and, and the, the beauty of, 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 of the career of, of being a, a physician. I think it's important that you highlighted that 
not only osteopathic physicians can have a holistic approach, this philosophy is definitely spreading to other professions, such as allopathic physicians, nurse practitioners, yeah. physicians assistants. So I know that's a big misconception of osteopathic medicine. So let's transition into some other misconceptions um, mm -hmm. of osteopathic medicine, and we can be like myth busters right now and bust these myths. <laughs> okay. So my first um, misconception is that osteopathic medicine is the same as alternative medicine. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think it's, that's not entirely correct, but I will say this, osteopathic physicians have um, not been uh, shy about embracing alternative medicine um, uh, to help their patients. And, and so if you're seeing someone um, and you're a physician, an osteopathic physician, you're looking at the medical literature, you're looking at the science, you're perfectly capable of prescribing any and all medications available to any physician in the country right now, any intervention, um, but you also are not uh, limited uh, by, for example, thinking, oh, the only thing I can do here is, uh, you know, whatever was in a double-blind placebo-controlled study, and everything beyond that um, is sort of not evidence-based, which is not true um, in, in the sense that empiric treatments for various conditions that have been passed down through the ages of physicians are very important to understand and in fact are a large chunk of all of our practices. And so alternative medicine, uh, it can be anything, right? It could be uh, hey, uh, change your diet. Maybe if you decrease gluten, you your irritable bowel will improve. Um, what's so alternative about that? Um, you know, a, a vitamin uh, therapy because you may be vitamin deficient. Uh, uh, applying osteopathic manipulative treatment for your back pain or your cervical pain as an adjunct to doing physical therapy and changing, you know, uh, other aspects of your life, maybe even changing the position of you during these Zoom meetings all the time. You know, um, that's what I view alternative medicine as, is looking at any and all uh, available uh, interventions to maximally preserve health as well to treat uh, symptoms if they arise. And so um, I think a misconception is, oh, osteopaths only practice alternative medicine, you know, or they only practice OMT. I can tell you there are osteopathic physicians that, that do that, and they are fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I am so like just incredible to me what their skills are. People go there in pain uh, and have been seeing doctors for decades and can't get treated. And by using these techniques and having understanding of what's, what's beyond, um, I've seen people get out of wheelchairs and walk because they're treated with the, some of these techniques in ways that they hadn't experienced in the past. Um, uh, and, and so that is uh, something that I think, because at the same time, osteopathic physicians are fully licensed in every state, um, can, uh, can become surgeons, can any medical practice, uh, board certified, um, all residencies are now under the same umbrella in the United States. You know, there are no DO or MD residencies. There are just residencies now in which DOs participate um, across the nation. And so, you know, I'm a geneticist that happens to be a DO. There's orthopedic surgeons that are DOs. There's cardiovascular surgeons. There's psychiatrists. 
you're going to find a lot more primary care docs as a percentage that are DOs. Um, again, those specialties of family practice, um, uh, pediatrics, internal medicine, psychiatry, emergency medicine, obstetrics, and gynecology. I think that's more of just a, a, a sort of a, a consequence, but a good one of really zeroing in on these holistic principles of preserving health. These are the these are the specialties that that's what they do. They want to preserve health. Um, and, and so more of our graduates move into those uh, fields um, because they've always wanted to be there um, probably even before they hit pre-med and the profession offers them that, that capacity to realize uh, their, their sort of calling. I think it's um, pretty intuitive why a lot of osteopathic students end up picking primary care. Like you mentioned, the philosophy is so inherent towards preventative medicine and that holistic view. But like you mentioned earlier, there are surgeons or orthopedic surgeons, cardiovascular surgeons who are mm -hmm. DOs. I think there's another misconception that people think that DOs are only in primary care. And second, they think that competitive residencies are limited to DO applicants. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, again, I, I think the field just has over time you know, like I said, the emphasis on preventative care and holistic approach resonates best with primary care. So we're, and, and then the other thing is we've always served underrepresented communities, um, rural communities. Again, you know, you need, you need primary care there before you get anything. And, and so again, it, it, it harmonizes with the field. Um, on the second point, residencies yeah, they're, they're, they're competitive and, and certain specialties are more competitive than others. And so you're going to face, um, face that uh, no matter if you're an MD or DO, uh, you know, some residency programs, um, you know, if you're only from this institution and not that institution, even if it's just an MD institution, for example, there's going to be biases there that may come into play. Um, and, and depending on which medical school, there's medical schools that, uh, there's plenty of medical schools, DOMD, that maybe focus more on primary care than specialization. Um, so that may impact upon competitiveness for a residency. Um, and in general, you know, the, the specialties, the rarer residencies, they're going to be more competitive in general, just because there's less of them. And so, Overall, I think, um, and, and then this um, also varies geographically. Um, and so I guess the, the, the answer to this is, um, you know, as you're a pre-med student, and it's, it's, it's so hard, I think, so early in your career to make these choices, but a choice in your mind is, do you, you know, what do you, what do you see yourself as a physician, you know? Do you see yourself being the primary care doc for a community where you came from, or following families across time and, and investing in their health. Um, are you more technical oriented? Do you, you know, are you more hands oriented? Do you see yourself more in a surgical realm, ultra surgical specialty? Um, you know, then, then those decisions should even be crafting where you head to medical school. Uh, but like I said, um, in the osteopathic medical schools, you can pursue any career, um, any of the specialties, um, it's just the, 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 the philosophical underpinnings, even in surgeries. I mean, the best surgeons are the ones that don't do surgery, right? I mean, really, those are the ones I've been impressed with. The ones that look at you and say, you know what? I can do surgery. 
but you do not need surgery. I mean, and here's how we're going to treat you to prevent that surgery. But if it comes to it, I'm ready and I'm willing and I, I'm able to do it. I mean, the tenants percolate through even into the ultra specialties and, and, and you will not be disturbed by that. So I think that's a, uh, an important understanding. And one, I think if, if I'm out there as a pre-med student right now, you really have to um, think about where you want to be in 30, 40 years, which is very difficult. And I can tell you from experience as a dean, there's many physicians out there that look back after 20 or 30 years and go, what if, what if I would have chose this residency instead of that, or this sort of career path instead of that, because maybe after 30 or 40 years of doing maybe a repetitive, very technical task, uh, your brain kind of gets uh, numb and maybe you aspire for other things, but now you, you, you burn too many bridges. So do not take the decision of medical school in which lightly, um, and also think about where you want to be and what's medical school best positions you for that vision of what type of physician you want to be. I think I'm really happy you highlighted that it's not the degree behind your name that might uh, make your competitiveness different. It's also like where you go to school and what you focus on and what decisions you make. So thank you for clearing that up. I'm sure that'll uh, reassure a lot of students. Oh, good, good. Yeah. So Thank you so much for talking so much about osteopathic medicine. I learned so much and I actually have, I have a, some quite a bit of knowledge about this, but I'm sure our listeners uh, will be mm -hmm. completely um, enlightened to hear this. So now let's transition um, into MSUCOM. What are some mm -hmm. highlights of MSUCOM, especially that you think make it an amazing medical school? Like what separates it from other schools, uh, osteopathic and allopathic alike? Well, um, I, I don't know how much time you yeah, but I can brag on and on. Oh, I, I will tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I, you know, and obviously I'm biased, right? I'm a product of the school, but it is a great school. Um, I have, as you heard, I, I've been at a couple notable medical centers in my career, and I've never felt like I was undereducated. I mean, I've really felt everywhere I went, I was able to contribute and actually stood out, I felt, in ways um, that I was very, I felt very confident in my training. So that's the number one thing is that you can be very confident that the training you're going to get will best position you for whatever you choose to do down the road. Second thing is that um, being a, a, a medical school for 51 years now, uh, we've got some incredible opportunities. We sit on a big, you know, one of the largest research universities in the world. I mean, we're ranked, I think, 70th, depending on how you want to slice and dice it. Um, and we take advantage of that fully so that you can have a full experience. We bring in professors from all kinds of specialties, uh, clinically and the foundational sciences to really bring you uh, a, as, a, as a medical student, the best education, the most contemporary education. Um, on top of that, and this is something uh, that I think is a, a really important to understand is you know, you can get through medical school, you can pass your boards, and then you get your license, which you got to make sure your school has a high rate of people completing you, you know, medical school is not easy. So you want to investigate this. You also want to investigate this if you're, for example, a, a minority or something, you want to make sure that this place has a track record of a strong retention rate that they are not only accepting folks, 
but getting them through the curriculum. The last thing you want to do is get into a situation where you're in two years and you can't pass a board exam. Now you're down a couple hundred thousand in debt and, and really there is no option. So you really want to explore that. And we have a great record uh, um, as a medical school, regardless of your background, uh, you have just as high a chance as anybody else of graduating, which is very high. We have a very, very low rate of, of folks maybe not getting through the curriculum. And, um, and, and, and that's probably because we have such a stringent admissions policy um, looking at folks that have like life experiences, not only book smarts to get through that, that is the key. Um, the other element of MSU COM is our network across the state of Michigan. We actually, in your third and fourth year, you have an opportunity to um, experience clerkship experiences in the hospitals across 22 different sites. Um, and they can be rural, urban, suburban, a mixture um, in various regions across the state of Michigan, um, where you really can experience different aspects of medicine. Um, there's not very many medical schools in the country that offer you that kind of scope. Uh, we've really been advantaged in the state of Michigan. And uh, beyond that, we actually sponsor residency and fellowships. So this is where you end up. You have to eventually enter a residency program to eventually practice. And you want to look at where where are those residencies? Well, we affiliate actually with 40 institutions across the state of Michigan, even beyond, um, in about 40 different medical specialties in which we assist in the education of 2,000 residents and fellows. And so by joining MSU COM, you instantly have access to this network across the state. And because of that, about you know, last year, for example, 78% of our grads ended up doing a residency in the state of Michigan, of which most were in one of these partner institutions we already have. And so what I'm, what I'm getting at is there's a path all the way through when you enter our medical school that's fairly clear. Not very med many medical schools give you that kind of clarity in regards to where's my next step? Where am I going to be? And uh, I think that is a great benefit. We have about 7,200 alumni now, of which again, 70%, uh, we were pretty confident practice in the state of Michigan. So geographically, um, we, we benefit from this and the, and the citizens and people who reside in the state of Michigan benefit uh, from a great number of our alumni uh, treating them. So uh, all kinds of things, I, I mentioned research. Uh, we have international opportunities that mo uh, many schools do not have. You can do, um, clerkships and electives, et cetera, in places as far flung as Malawi, Africa, and learn about malaria. You can go to uh, Peru, you can go to Merida, Mexico, which is unbelievable. Uh, I've been there a couple of times, uh, the opportunities there to learn how others practice medicine and, and see their perspectives and, 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 and sort of improve your armamentarium, if you will. Um, Nepal, uh, uh, just unbelievable. Um, opportunities there as you go through the medical school experience. Um, and then, you know, the, like I said, uh, we really embrace those osteopathic tenets and philosophies. We, um, you know, we will emblazon them in everything you learn and it will only serve to, to make you a, 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 the great physician you know you're gonna be. So those are just some of the things, uh, but um, there, there's probably a lot more that I missed. 
From your explanation, it seems like the opportunities at MSUCOM are just simply endless. Um, you have such a great path laid out for you with a lot of students before, like you said, um, completing residencies affiliated with MSUCOM as well. So that's really great to hear. Mm -hmm. So another question I have for you, or not a question, something you can comment on is I know that MSUCOM is very big on service to the community. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I think um, this, this gets into, I think, questions regarding what do I got to do to best position myself, you know, to if I'm applying to medical school. Oh, definitely. Um, and, you know, and, and, and a medical school like COM. So I think there's some basics for any medical school you're considering. Obviously, you know, it, it's academically rigorous what you're going to learn. Medicine is not easy. Um, and the knowledge is growing exponentially. So you have to feel comfortable in your ability to absorb and retain great amounts of knowledge. So, you know, we, we, we look at things like grade point averages. We look at things like, you know, what courses were you taking? How vigorous were they? And how did you do? Um, because those are kind of like little tests to see how you're going to handle the medical school curriculum, which is, is not a cakewalk. Um, and so we, we obviously look at things like that. And and we do look at MCAT scores as an external measure of, of someone's uh, uh, capacities. But I can tell you those are just fractional elements of what we look for in an up and coming um, medical student. Uh, and, and so what we, we look for is what life experiences as an individual had while they've been undertaking all this rigorous academics, uh, you know, and, and courses and all that. Because that can tell us how you're going to be as a practicing physician. Um, and so we look at uh, experiences in the community, interacting with the community, uh, doing research, doing other things besides the book smart things uh, that says, hey, this, this individual not only has the intellectual capacity to handle a medical school curriculum, but also has time to you know, enrich themselves in other ways. That tells us that this individual will likely do well in our curriculum and will not uh, just be, you know, just getting by because that's not the type of uh, position you want to be. You want to be able to um, handle the, the rigors uh, of the academics, but also, uh, like I said, there's a lot, lot more to it than that. Um, and so with that, the, the other, you know, you mentioned community engagement. What we're really looking for is have you immersed yourself in situations that parallel the medical profession you want to enter. So, I mean, uh, you know, community engagement, even, you know, having a job, uh, you know, and being able to sustain yourself uh, while going through this, your, your courses and stuff tells us a lot that this individual, um, despite, uh, you know, maybe economic difficulties or uh, what have you, or was able to still do other things besides just study all the time. Um, and so those are important things to consider as you approach a medical school application is to highlight those activities you did while you were getting these stellar grades and MCAT scores. And then the final thing I, I, I tell folks, osteopathic medicine, medicine in general, it's not easy to enter a career in medicine. It is difficult. It is emotionally um, draining. It could be very stressful. Uh, there's a lot of doctors that suffer from 
burnout, as do many in any of the health professions, nursing in particular is what I'm thinking about. Um, it's become even more clear you know, during the COVID pandemic. What I'm saying is that I, you really, it, it's a passion. You have to have a passion. If you're doing this because your parents want you to be a doctor or everybody in your, you know, all your siblings are orthopedic surgeons and I'm going to be one too, or, you know, those are not the right reasons. You, you have to have it in your heart and you have to have a good understanding of what exactly the expectation is and, and how much you're going to have to give of yourself in this career. And so I tell students that one of the best ways is to put yourself in situations that very closely resemble what you will be doing as a physician. So if you can get into a crisis center, an emergency room, a trauma center, um, a clinic, uh, a psychiatric center, uh, a rehab center, these areas, you know, where you can think of a cancer uh, institute, uh, counseling, um, uh, you know, uh, pediatric uh, ward, you know, where you actually can put, and, and, and not only just sort of, you know, just kind of uh, superficially be there, but really try and see, seek out immersive uh, opportunities, you know, working with AIDS patients in Africa. I mean, uh, what I want you to do is push yourself into situations that are very uncomfortable, potentially, very difficult, very stressful. And at the end of that experience, ask yourself, could I do this the rest of my career? If the answer is yes, we want you. And your, your application will stand out because we can see that, that this person has actually gone the extra mile, has really tried to learn what the profession is, medicine in general, osteopathic in particular, um, and, and, and despite all that, still wants to do it. <laughs> I mean, because that's really the name of the game here. It, it uh -huh. is difficult. And, and so the more you can do that, I think uh, it, it, will, it will come through in your application and we can see it as bright as day. And that's how you'll end up where you wanna be. Medicine seems to be a very collaborative field in general. So I think your life experiences really uh, shape individuality. And from what you said, it seems like that's what really stands out even more than test scores and grade point average, which are also very important, but. Yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, team, you know, working in teams, respecting others in teams. I mean, that's something that uh, uh, is so critical to understand that, hey, just because you're a physician doesn't mean you're, you're God's gift to the world, you know? <laughs> exactly, um, yeah. And, and, and you know, right. And, and, you know, I've worked with great nurses, great physician assistants, great physical therapists, great counselors, and, and they have great expertise and, and can even steer you when you may be going in the wrong direction. And, and you have to be comfortable with that, that you will not have all the answers. And if you think you do, you're very naive. And, and, and so, um, you know, you have to put yourself in these positions to understand that and have a respect for others on the team that you're gonna be working with. Sometimes you might be the leader of the team, other times you may not be. Um, and, and, and be comfortable in that because that's where medicine is going. Uh, you can't go it alone. Yeah, definitely not. I think humility is very important. Like you said, uh, you're not God's gift as, mm -hmm. as you're a physician. You have to um, right. definitely collaborate with other fields in the health, um, in the health professions yeah. as well. So 
thank you so much for talking about uh, MSU COM and service and how important that is in shaping a pre-medical student. So just to, so before we end, can you give one big tip for a pre-medical student and a medical student? So for students in two different um, parts of the journey. Um, for the pre-med student, I think my tip is, um, you know, you need to be living life while you're undertaking your studies to the fullest. And if you can do both successfully, um, I think that that should tell you that you have what it takes to be a physician. Um, because like I said, it is, uh, um, it's very consuming. Um, it is, uh, it requires a passion uh, to, so that you want to be uh, working incredible hours, you know, weekends away, uh, uh, on call, um, at a moment's notice, uh, around the clock uh, for days, years, and decades. Um, so you have to you have to explore that and be definitive in that. Uh, for the medical students, um, same thing holds true. I mean, uh, we've already selected the medical students to be able to do this and, and uh, you know, to, to handle the academics of the medical school curriculum. Um, while in medical school though, I, I suggest taking advantage of these available opportunities. We have, for example, like I said, we have research opportunities from doing a, you know, a semester of research all the way up to a PhD um, and anything in between. Uh, these international uh, opportunities to go and do a, a clinical experience abroad um, or uh, clin unique clinical experiences, volunteer experiences. We have like a street medicine program in which our students can go out and actually they, they uh, with physicians, um, serve those that are homeless or, or don't, don't have any place to live and, and provide medical care um, to the underserved, uh, uh, volunteer clinics, health clinics, et, et cetera. So uh, my advice is to continue in that passion uh, and also those other things that maybe are non-medical. Uh, you know, if you like playing an instrument, you like participating in sports, you're, you fancy yourself a, uh, a chef or whatever, those things are going to keep you even keeled uh, uh, during this, the, these travels into this career. And I just say, try not to um, lose sight of those because they're gonna keep you sound uh, forever. A common theme from our whole discussion seems uh, to have no regrets and to live life to the, to the fullest at every, uh, as, every part of your medical journey. So thank you so much for sharing that advice. I'm very inspired. I hope all of our listeners listen to your wise words about osteopathic medicine and COM in general. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And thank you, Dr. Malfitano, for sitting with me. I hope you were not bored by this conversation. Oh, no, no, this is wonderful. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I, I will tell you this. I wish someone had told me half this stuff. When I was, exactly. That's why we have I was a podcast. Oh, good, good. I think I, I hope it's useful information. Definitely. Uh, I think it should be. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you so much. So. Okay, everybody, we'll see you next week. Make sure to follow us um, on Instagram and make sure you check out MSU COM's website. Uh, if you're interested in applying to medical school, please give this website a look. You'll learn a lot about uh, the school in general. And you can check out MSU COM on social media, such as Instagram. So thank you guys for listening. See you next week on the Pre-Med Perspectives.